Welcome back to Designing Business with Kate Bell from the BDAV. Designing Business will unpack business problems common to our industry and provide you with a few tips and tricks along the way. One of the hardest things about running a business is managing your employees. Managing people with different personalities is really challenging, no matter what the size of the team. In a workplace that is typically collaborative and dynamic, it's difficult to build a cohesive team. If there's anyone who knows about how to run a team, it's Dina Malathunas. Before her career flip to become a building designer, Dina managed more than 600 employees at one of Australia's four major banks. In 2008, Dina said goodbye to the spreadsheets and hit the books to become a building designer. Now Dina is an award-winning designer who pushes the boundaries with her carefully planned designs. On this podcast, Dina is going to share her insights from her earlier years in the corporate world and provide us with some handy tips on how to seamlessly manage a team. Dina, welcome to Designing Business. Thank you, Kate. It's so nice to be here. So managing a team of 600 people, that must be really challenging. What was it like? I was relatively young at the time, and I must admit I found it a transition from previous roles which either had smaller teams or where I was completely solo and had, you know, I was completely accountable just for my own performance. Um, what it did do is bring home the importance of being able to balance up the needs of a business versus the needs of people. Um, and having the understanding that unless you could motivate your people and have the team performance that you're after, that your chances of achieving your, your business metrics were lessened. Um, understanding that staff contentment and morale was going to be critical to meeting the key strategic objectives was really key. So obviously managing 600 people is quite different to managing one, two, three people, but I'm assuming the lessons are transferable? Oh, absolutely. As you can imagine, there are vastly different personalities. Uh, At the end of the day, everybody's at work trying to do their job, trying to meet their financial commitments, their personal commitments. So understanding that, respecting people and respecting diversity and marrying that up with business, I think... uh, you know, are transferable skills, whether they're for 600 people, for one, for three or for four. Really doesn't make a difference. So now that you flip the coin from managing a team of 600 to managing your own design team at Junctions 90, tell us about your journey to starting your firm. The journey to starting Junctions 90 was really a very personal decision for me. Um, it was all about making what I felt was a tangible difference. And by tangible difference, um, I mean a, a difference in all facets of my life. So this really was about integrating my personal life with my professional endeavours and finding a balance and contentment between my personal life, my family and my work. And really uh, the thing that in the end pushed me to, to just leave the work that I had was I really felt the need to inspire my children in particular to have the confidence and to strive and to follow their dreams and to be in an environment where... Um, they felt that they belonged and that they could do something that made a difference to everybody and to themselves. So how many staff do you have at Junctions 90? I have two staff at Junctions 90 um, and then I have a range of people that I go to for additional support as I need it. Um, In our industry, I think the ability to subcontract is key. So from time to time, we might subcontract out to an interior designer or to somebody who can help us with construction drawings or whatever we need to get to um, a situation where we can meet the client objective. So what's the biggest difference between uh, supervising 600 people to uh, supervising the small team that you now have? When a team is smaller, it does become so much more personal. It becomes so much more intimate in that sense. It's a, it's about 
it, it becomes more about a smaller family. 600 people is still a family because managing 600 people is, that role is at least 80% about managing people, 20% about your strategy. Um, running a small business, it's much the same. The percentage isn't different, but you just have less people. So, And you see the same people every day. So you get to know them better, you get to understand them better, and you, and you get the opportunity to, to build a personal relationship in, in a different way when, when it's a smaller team. I'm sure you've had many hard conversations managing a team of 600 people. How do you approach these tough conversations? For example, if an employee is underperforming, what should you do? I think this, this is a really difficult question. Um, and over time, I think I've worked out that in order to be able to do this, you need to have a process to understand, first of all, what constitutes baseline performance in the first place and being able to manage to that. So you need the objectivity behind you to understand what you mean by good performance in the first place. And, of course, then the tracking to be able to do it. And beyond all of that, then it becomes about your personal approach towards it. So it's about being candid. It is about being personal. And it's about having a workaround. Um, so I had a graduate who felt really disillusioned by the current role that they were in. And it's, it was I think it was a good example of trying to answer your question. And they really started to slip in, in their performance. Um, we had a conversation to ascertain why he was feeling disillusioned and why he wasn't engaged. There, there was no real personal circumstances. It was just that he felt that the process to getting him to where he wanted to be was taking too long. He'd spent five years at school um, and didn't feel that he needed to spend the next 10 to, to keep moving. Um, we agreed in, in that we would assist him, and the best way we felt to do that was to rotate him around the business, so to give him the exposure and therefore the, the breadth and depth of knowledge. But we also agreed that we would help him to find alternative roles. Um, it was The condition to it was that he had to perform in his existing role, and so therefore we had a win-win. We had a situation where he would perform and meet our business needs, but that we would help him achieve his. So it was a win-win for us. And have you had to use that same situation in your design firm? Yes, I have. I had I had a, an employee a little while back that was fantastic at doing three D rendering. Um, one of the one of the best three D renderers I've come across. Um, very very good at that. But ultimately, in our in our business, that was not the main focus. So I had a conversation with him too, and said, "Look, I think." you're going to do better to go into a role like that. It's really what you want. It's really what you're good at. We'll help you get there. We have the networks to support you. However, you need to perform for a little while until you give us the opportunity to find somebody to replace you and we will also support you in moving on to a new role. So we did. We, we helped him get a job um, and it took about three months before we could transition him out and get a new employee up and running so once again, he, you know, he's happy. We still keep in touch. Um, he's doing great where he's gone, and I have an employer that does what we need. So obviously it's really important that if you've got an underperforming staff member that you should have that conversation straight away. What are the three things that you think are really important to do as part of that process? I, I absolutely agree with what you're saying. I think you, you need to be able to take that staff member and sit them down straight away and have a very open conversation about what it is that's affecting them. I mean, sometimes it can just be something very personal. It's a short-term thing. You can get on top of it. Other times, it is really an employee that's disgruntled. Really, they've either got an issue with um, 
within the team or they just don't want to be doing that kind of work. But unless you can sit them down straight away and work out exactly what the problem is, it's, it, it becomes an ongoing problem that you can never solve. So it's really important to motivate staff and increase morale, especially in a small team. How do you go about that? I think team building is of paramount importance in achieving success, and and that is whether there's there's 10 people, 20 people, 100 people in your team. It doesn't make a difference. You, You need to be able to celebrate the successes. And beyond that, I think there's also the other side that says, well, we need to be very clear about what the strategy of the business is. And I think you can only do that by just reinforcing and reinforcing and reinforcing again so that everybody understands what we mean by success in in the place that we're working in and how we all individually contribute to achieving that success. So I I think those things are absolutely key. And then also having some sort of incentive structure to reward good performance so that the people can see the link between your financial success and their financial success and 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 understanding that is key. Um, another thing that I find is being able to be flexible in your working hours and your arrangements there. We all have a life, um, you know, some of us are younger mothers, other people just, you know, need to navigate their kids to school, they just need to miss traffic to get home. So having the metrics in place as to what is a good days or good weeks output and having understood that and then allowing people some flexibility in in them coming or going. I think those things are key. Um, And some of the big corporations, you do that exceptionally well, your Googles and places like that, um, where people can just sacrifice, have additional leave, start later, leave earlier. I think we can learn great things from big companies like that. And how does that translate to a smaller business? Obviously, you don't have teams of people there undertaking the work. And how do you balance up that uh, flexibility with getting the end goal? I think it's about being able to schedule your entire team. So if, if and, and then everybody being able to understand that sometimes they need to compromise in that too. So it, it, Often happens that you know somebody might need to start later on a Monday morning, but someone will need to be there to cover for that person. And it's understanding and setting that type of scheduling from the week before and saying, well, you know, that's absolutely fine. So it is it is a balancing act, and it is about balancing your your needs as a business owner and also your staff's needs, and, and understanding that both contribute. So one of the hardest things to do as an employer is to provide um, constructive feedback to an employee. Uh, Do you have any tips for our listeners on how to go about that process? I think being open and candid is one of the most important things that an employer can do. Um, It's about about that employer recognising what that employee does and does well and where they need some support. So I think we refer to that as a feedback sandwich where, where what we might do is have an employee and recognise what they do do well, recognise where they do need some development and then end that on a positive note so that they feel that they are being supported, that they are not, that it is constructive criticism and that they are not being isolated out. So I had an employee actually that was brilliant on on site contract management. One of the best employees I've come across in that in that regard could walk onto a site and could have a conversation with a builder, pick an issue on the spot and be able to resolve it. Brilliant documenter also beforehand. So that that was certainly in terms of a, a feedback sandwich, the conversation was around the way you document how something is to be built is second to none. And I maintain that today. 
the way you manage people when you go out on a site, whether that's the builder or you're meeting with an engineer with respect to how it's being constructed, also second to none. Your administration in coming back and documenting that, that needs work because whilst it's it was in his head about what he was doing, it was nobody else really had an idea in the office about what had transpired. So the conversation that we had was around great job in documenting, not so great in documenting it when you got back, fabulous on site. So certainly it's about being positive and using the negative and being able to turn that around and turn it into something that is developmental without being critical. Do you follow up with some sort of written documentation just to um, finalise the issue? Early on, I don't. I like to give somebody the opportunity to adjust and, and do what is required without them feeling the formality of the documentation. Um, so as a first conversation, no, I don't do that. But then I'm a pretty relaxed operator like that. Um, others may, may benefit more so from that. It, I think that comes down to management style and individuality as opposed to a process that fits all. Um, if I find that the issue is recurring, then we have a second conversation and that is about, well, you know, we have had the first conversation. We're now having a follow-up is there something I should know? Is there something we need to be doing to support you? Because it does fall short and we are relying on you and your information to be able to manage our processes as well. So on the flip side of managing a team of 600 people, what has that taught you about yourself? This has been fun, I have to say, over over a career and over a life. Um, I remember starting out and being a lot younger and being so nervous about trying to do the right thing and not making a mistake and, you know, what was everybody going to think if you got it wrong? Um, so the one thing I've learned that I'm really happy about um, genuinely is that it's okay to make mistakes and not have the answers. I think as long as you can approach everything with some integrity and some respect and um, with the idea of actually achieving a good result for everybody, I think people will forgive you for your mistakes and it just makes you human. So I've learned that. Very happy to have learned that lesson. Um, another thing I've learned is that to be able to talk to people is one of the most important skills you can learn. Um, there is diversity. There is um, There are differences in everybody. And ultimately, we're all aligned in that we're all just trying to get through and do what we need to do and do it with some self-respect. So I think learning to speak to people is one of the most transferable skills you can have. And big business, small business, or personal life, in fact, it doesn't make a difference. So, Dina, thank you for your time today. I guess one last thing to leave with our listeners is what's the number one tip when dealing with employees? I think I would say um, treat all your employees with all the, the respect that they are entitled and, and be open and communicative and be committed to having the very best outcome that you can possibly have for those people within your team. Dina, thanks so much for sharing your experience and knowledge on designing business. To our listeners, BDAV would like to thank you for joining us today. And for any BDAV members listening, feel free to call the BDAV if you've got any questions in regard to employing someone for the first time or dealing with your current employees. This is Designing Business with Kate Bell.